0: Brother Robert Powell was scheduled to speak tonight, but he is sick. I called Brother Dave Miller, who was supposed to be back from Brownsville, Texas, where he's been speaking for several days, and he agreed to speak, but He's still in Dallas trying to get out of the airport. Well, after 22 years here, I have utilized all the sermons I used to fall back on in times like this, so Jerry uh, saved my life for the 20,000th time plus, and said, why not call Brother Ron Honecker? He has visited with us before his wife, is suffering with return cancer. We need to remember her, Sandy Honaker. He's preached for years and he now attends university and of course he was more than delighted to come. I've been wanting to get him over here on a Sunday night and uh, this opportunity presented itself and he was happy to come. So we look forward to Brother Ron Honaker being with us and speaking to us tonight. This is the third lesson in our series on the purpose of preaching. We are focusing on Acts chapter two, the first gospel sermon, not period, but the first gospel sermon comma, and then qualified by such phrases as, in the name of the resurrected Christ, as an accomplished fact, the first gospel sermon under the Great Commission. There are many gospel sermons in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is saturated with gospel sermons. But every one of those sermons has a forward look in anticipation of the reality. Of the death to bear the resurrection of Christ. The Old Testament closes with a gospel sermon by implication pointing to the Elijah of the New Testament, John the Baptist, who would come and prepare the way for the object of the gospel Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man. But the Sermon preached on Pentecost of Acts 2 is the first gospel sermon that looks backward. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John part of the New Testament yet have a forward look. Jesus went everywhere preaching the kingdom of God, the coming of the church of Christ. The apostles were sent out to prepare the way for the reality of the two great comings of the Old Testament, the coming of Christ and the coming of the Church of Christ. The 70 were sent out. The 12 were sent out. All these great gospel sermons preached in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, though coming right to the close of the New Testament relative to the four books that give us a brief Portrait of the life of Jesus Christ. Yet all of those sermons had a forward look. Jesus Christ preached many sermons and every sermon looked forward. He did not preach a single sermon that looked back over what he was going to accomplish to take care of the problem that started in Genesis 3.6 in his own death, burial, burial and by the Father's great power, the resurrection from the dead. But when Peter and those twelve apostles stood up on the day of Pentecost of Acts 2, in the mind of God from eternity, all the eons of eternity rolling along in what we now live in time. Though there was no time back there. In the beginning, God, the beginning of what? The beginning of time. But back in eternity, the unending eons of eternity, the coming of Christ and the coming of the Church of Christ were in the mind of God. If we could look at eternity by means of time, we could say that there was not a second in all of eternity in which there was not in the mind of God the coming of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Church of Christ. Many of our preachers today need to go back and restudy Acts chapter 2 and learn how to preach again because so many of our preachers, if they ever knew how to preach, have forgotten how. And they need to restudy the sermon that inaugurated New Testament Christianity in the world. The first gospel sermon in the name of the resurrected Christ under the Great Commission as an accomplished fact, the first gospel sermon that has a backward look of rejoicing over the accomplishment of man's now being delivered from sin washed away in blood divine. Looking back on the reality of the consummated gospel. Not having to continue to look forward in anticipation of what was yet to be there are perhaps more truths in Acts chapter 2 than even the most studied among us can count. And is this surprising? From eternity, we're looking forward to the church of Christ. The Church of Christ grows out of Calvary. First there had to be Calvary and then Acts 2. There could be no Acts 2. There never would have been an Acts 2 had there not been Calvary, Jesus Christ crucified, buried and raised from the dead. Should we therefore be surprised that Acts 2 informs us of how we ought to preach? what we ought to preach, what should be the nature of gospel preaching today, much of the preaching being done in many of our congregations is not gospel preaching. There is no good news in the obnoxious, horrendously evil spirit of liberalism that has sucked the exclusiveness of New Testament Christianity out of it. Many of our gospel preachers, if you could call them that, and that would be a misnomer because they're no longer gospel preachers. Could not and would not preach Acts chapter 2 because Acts chapter 2 is talking about the exclusive church with the exclusive God, the exclusive Christ, the exclusive answer to the question, what must I do in order to be saved? Exclusive Christianity. There is no other church but the church that Jesus said, I will build. It's the product of the gospel priest and the gospel obeyed. Every other church is a man-made organization in which There is no blessing of salvation. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says, we are reconciled to God in the one body. That's the church. The church is the sphere of reconciliation. In restudying Acts chapter 2, we learn many, many things, among which is how to preach. It sets forth the purpose of preaching. The purpose of preaching is to make known the scriptures. What else is there? Human tradition, doctrines of men. Jesus said that makes worship vain. Matthew 15, 9. Human philosophy? Paul said, you need to be beware of that. When we see the sign, beware on somebody's gate, we take notice. We know there's something dangerous inside those gates and inside that house that may threaten our life. Should we go where we don't belong on somebody else's property? Beware of philosophy. Paul says, it will spoil you, Colossians 2.8. It ruins faith and therefore spoils the soul. Humorous stories, quotations from theologians, human experiences. Faith is based four square on God said, Romans 10, verse 17. We cannot have faith, much less grow and mature and increase in faith unless we utilize our minds saturating and permeating them with God said on every subject. What kind of preaching thrills the spiritual heart and soul? What kind of preaching increases faith, matures faith? What kind of preaching challenges the soul to a higher plane of living? What kind of preaching enriches the soul with truths divine? It's preaching that sets forth the Scriptures. Preach the Word. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, if any man speak, if you're going to preach, if you're going to talk about spiritual things, make sure it's based on the Word of God. Words from the inspired Peter. That draws our minds back to the kind of preaching that ought to be done in every pulpit of the Church of Christ. First Peter four eleven. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles, the words of God. Half of the sermon in Acts two. Quotations from the Old Testament. Peter and those apostles were book, chapter, and verses. Preachers, 25 verses set forth the sermon that inaugurated New Testament Christianity to the world, and 12 of them direct word-for-word quotations from the Old Testament. Peter quoted from Joel in order to calm those people's minds and get them ready for this gospel sermon that he was going to preach. You can't preach a gospel sermon when people's minds are messed up and they think that the speaker has been imbibing alcohol. He had to quote from the Old Testament, set forth the scripture in order to solve that problem and calm their minds and get them ready for the reception of this great gospel sermon. And then when he got to his fourth point and said, Jesus Christ from raised from the dead, that's the first point that he had made out of four that the people would have argued with. They knew that this man of whom Peter was speaking, before many miracles, they saw them. And among other things, Peter is no doubt saying, there are many of you present on this occasion and you saw Jesus Christ when he healed the sick when he raised the dead, when he fed thousands with a handful of bread and meat. You saw this man when he cast out demons. You saw this man when he gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and speech to the dumb. No doubt there are many of you present on this occasion and it was some of your family members that enjoyed the benefits of the miracles he performed. They would not have argued with that. Delivered by God's determinate counsel and foreknowledge? You have taken it with wicked hands, have crucified and slain? Many of them present on that occasion had cried out, Let his blood be on us and on our children. But when he said, This man was raised from the dead, he had to prove that. How does a man prove anything when he's talking about spiritual things? He's got to make known the scriptures. That's one of the purposes of preaching. And that's what he did. He goes back again to the Old Testament. And he quoted from David. And he said, one of your own prophets made these statements. Not talking about himself, but talking about Jesus Christ. men Hear these words. And he quoted from David. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, he said. And he talked about David's life and how that his sepulcher was right there in the midst of them. But the one of whom Jesus spoke was not in the grave. He had been raised from it. And Peter said he now sits at the right hand of the Son of God. He made known the scriptures. Gospel preachers who preach like Peter did on Pentecost have sermons full of God said. You read that kind of terminology over and over again among those great preachers of the past. Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have rebelled against me unto this very day, they are impudent and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them and thou shalt say unto them, hear the word of the Lord and they shall know that there hath been a prophet among them, Ezekiel 2, verses 3 to 5. God wanted those 10,000 Judean captives by the Cheba River who knew Ezekiel like they knew members of their own family to know at the close of his preaching there had been a prophet of God among them. At the setting of every Sunday sun every member of the church of Christ ought to be able to get in his automobile with his family and drive home and say with family unity we have heard a gospel preacher today not a theologian, not a comedian, not a philosopher, not a teller of human experiences, not a joker, but we've heard the Word of God preached today. The purpose, one of the purposes of preaching is to make known the Scripture and to open the mind to receive the truth, to prepare the mind to receive the truth. No congregation on the face of the earth today ought to understand this better than the church here at Panama Street because from its inception, under a quarter of a century of preaching by Brother Rex Turner Sr., who perhaps knew the Old Testament as good as and better than most preachers and those who are teaching in our Christian schools. And therefore, this church grew up long before anyone present here today was in the audience, except for maybe two or three. And his knowledge of the Old Testament was well known in the church. Many of his sermons came forth from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is an attitude developer, it gets a mind ready to receive the truths of the New Testament. And only a fool could just casually read the Old Testament and not have his mind in a state of readiness to echo the sentiments of Samuel in 1 Samuel three ten. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Every member of the church whose mind has been schooled in the university of the Old Testament, whose mind has been educated by the college of the Old Testament, whose mind has been instructed and admonished and edified and filled to an overflowing degree with those marvelous truths of the Old Testament that Paul said were written for our learning over the half of the church today is soaking wet with the filthy flood of liberalism and they wouldn't recognize a gospel sermon if they heard it because their minds have been schooled in liberalism instead of the Old Testament. You could not preach or study the books of the prophets in over half the church today because they loathe the concept of divine wrath and fiery fury. Language of the prophets, Ezekiel is full of it. They don't recognize that God. And that's the reason many of them have divorced the Old Testament basically from the Bible. They believe there's no grace back there. When the book opens with the grace of God and Noah found it, Genesis 6, 8, because he was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2, 5. And he understood the nature of God and the traits of God, every one of which Is set forth in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Those prophets knew how to preach because they were inspired of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus hath God said over and over and over again. In the beginning, God, that is an attitude developer. In the beginning, God revelation. In the beginning, God created confirmation. And the rest of Acts or Genesis 1 is confirmation of the revelation of God. And it readies the man for what is to follow. If an individual accepts, in the beginning, God, the first first four words of divine revelation, the first four words introducing the greatest being known to man, the greatest being in all that is, then he's ready in mind to receive the rest of Genesis wine. He would not even think about arguing with, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let divide the waters from the waters. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together under one place, and let the dry land appear. And God said, let the earth break forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and days and years. And God said, let the water bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God said, let the waters break forth abundantly cattle and creeping thing and moving things after their kind. And God said, let us make man. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish or fill the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and everything that moveth upon the earth. For the mind that has already been educated in the university Containing four words, not a host of subjects that would take four to five years to degree in, but a mind that has been schooled in the college of four terms in the beginning God. Fully accepting the truths and the manifold, innumerable implications of the first four words of divine revelation has a readiness of mind, a readiness of spirit, a readiness of soul, an eagerness of faith that has accepted this inconceivable, indescribable truth that most of the world rejects to receive the rest Of Genesis 1, confirmation of the revelation without a single proverbial but. Here's what I think about it. I believe about it. I've studied this out, I've prayed about it, and I've come to some new insights about those first four words. And therefore, the rest of Genesis 1 that really, in my judgment, is not confirmation of the revelation, but for those likened to this number and thankfully, yet thousands of others across what is yet a great brotherhood of a small remnant, as Isaiah would say, a very small remnant, Isaiah 1-9. There are no arguments and no debates on anything that follows the first four words of divine revelation. Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel sermon. I will put in between thee and the woman, thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head; and thou shalt bruise his heel. Genesis 12.3 is the second gospel sermon, and Paul said it was in Galatians 3.8. And those two verses... One, just a piece of a verse, Genesis 12, 3. Prepare the mind for the rest of the Old Testament and the first four books of the New Testament. That answers one question, how did God get from the problem of Genesis 3, 6 to its solution in the death the burial, the resurrection of Christ? A man is not ready to receive the rest of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the first four books of the New Testament until he understands Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 12.3, the first two gospel sermons. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is redemption consummated from the implied statement, let us begin in Genesis 3.15. We have to journey 4,000 years to get to the it is finished of John 19.30. We're not ready in mind, in heart, in spirit, in understanding, in perception for the it is finished of John 19.30 until we understand the implications of Genesis 3.15 and 12.3 that are mapped out in the 39 books of the Old Testament. And we're not ready for the consummation of the gospel and the death the burial and the resurrection of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Until our minds have been to the University of the Old Testament. Schools taught, admonished, educated. With multiple PhD degrees. Figuratively speaking. In these innumerable, monumental, divine revelations. In the Old Testament. Getting us ready for the consummation of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Of what value is a consummated gospel without an appropriated gospel? Of no value at all. Suppose the entire world understood the first 39 books of the Old Testament and the consummated gospel set forth in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of what value would that be without appropriation? That's what the book of Acts is. Appropriating the consummated gospel. A man's mind is not ready to receive the perpetuated gospel, Romans to Jude, until he's been educated in the universe of the Old Testament, educated in the consummated gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and has made appropriation in the book of Acts. His mind is now ready because... The scriptures have been made known to his mind and got his mind in a state of preparation to receive these great laws that enable the appropriated gospel to be perpetuated until his life comes to a close a man is not ready to receive the victory of the book of Revelation until with a completed Bible lacking this one book but now ready to receive it in signs and symbols, a picture book painted on our minds closing with the day of judgment. An entrance in to that heavenly city where there is no death, no crying, no despair, no storms, no heartaches, no suffering. No funerals, no funeral sermons, no funeral songs, no goodbyes but with a readiness of mind having appropriated the consummated gospel and perpetuated his Christian life by being faithful to God is ready for his own death and his entrance in to that heavenly city. The purpose of preaching Make known the scriptures and prepare the mind to receive the truth. You're present, never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You've done that and straight away send in some public way, and you need the prayers of the church for any needs you may have. We're going to sing a song right now to encourage you to come while we stand and sing.
1: Just to rest upon him. <clears throat> Just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How i proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more oh how sweet to trust in jesus just to trust his cleansing blood just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing blood jesus jesus how i trust him how i Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that thou art with me, will be with me till thee Him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more.